0: Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the super-duper special election edition. This week, we have our entire dream team assembled here in studio to explain what's going to be on your ballot. We're going to talk about the U.S. Senate race, Congress, governor, statewide races, state house elections, and those two state ballot initiatives. And we're still going to try to do it all in 15 minutes. It's a tall order, and helping me fulfill it this week is the phenomenal Haley B. Miller, the tenacious Laura Bischoff, and the reporter we all secretly hope to be when we Grow up Jesse Ballmer. So welcome to the show, guys. This is the first time we've we've all been together here. Yeah, this is fun. Hey, hey. Okay, so our first topic is Washington, D.C., and the people Ohio will choose to represent us there. The big race, of course, is between JD Vance, the Republican, and Democrat Tim Ryan. It's an open U.S. Senate seat, meaning there is no incumbent, and that race has been too close to call in polling terms for months. Yeah, it's it's been an
1: interesting one. So quick refresher: this seat is open because GOP Senator Rob Portman decided to retire after a lengthy tenure in D.C. Ryan and Vance have been going at it since they both won their May primaries. Vance was in a very messy GOP primary, so it took him a little bit of time to recover from that. Vance has been doing what a lot of Republicans are doing this cycle, blaming Biden and Democrats on inflation problems, the economy, which we know is top of mind for voters right now.
0: Yeah, egg prices are like bananas.
1: Yeah. Um, Ryan (laughs) meanwhile, you know, he's a longtime Democrat. He's been in Congress for 20 years, but he's trying to position himself sort of as a moderate, um, trying to appeal to middle-of-the-road voters who might not necessarily be aligned with the Trump Vance wing of the GOP. um, And Vance has Trump's endorsement. Correct. Yes. Trump endorsed Vance back uh, during the primary, which surprised some people because Vance had been critical of Trump back in the day. But he has since shifted gears to say that he was the greatest president the U.S. has ever had. There's been a lot of money in the race. Tim Ryan is super outraising Vance. He's brought in in the latest quarter like 17 million. So I think he's up to 36 million for the entire race, which is just a lot of money. Vance is not raising as much, but he's getting a lot of outside help from national GOP groups aligned with Mitch McConnell and things like that, so... It's a lot of money. It's very close. As you noted, it will be interesting to see how it shakes out.
0: And if he wins, he will be the first Democratic candidate to win statewide outside of Sherrod Brown in like a decade. I mean, if this like push to the middle to grab those like Trump Democratic voters works, I think we might see it as like a blueprint for future Democratic candidates.
1: Right. And because of that, some national Democrats are kind of frustrated that they're not Like Democratic groups are not spending as much as the GOP groups because they're saying Ryan is running one of the most effective Democratic campaigns in the country. And, you know, I do think that if he loses, there will be some questions about sort of, you know, what what the party's
0: priorities were this year. And Ohio is also going to elect 15 representatives to the U.S. House this year. Some of these races are not close, but some of them are still up in the air. There's one in Toledo, one in the Akron area, and one down in Cincinnati, right? Yeah, those are probably the three most interesting
1: races that we've seen. One of them is an open seat. The Akron area seat is an open seat between Madison Otto Gilbert, a Republican, and State Rep Amelia Sykes, who is the Democrats' minority leader in the Ohio House for a bit. So, that
0: Sykes name is like institutional in the Akron, like Northeast Ohio area.
1: Yeah, so she has a lot of name recognition there, and we'll see if that pays off. Meanwhile, Republican Steve Shabbat is trying to defend his seat against a Democrat who serves on the Cincinnati City Council. And up in the Toledo area, Marcy Captor is trying to defend her seat against uh, J.R. Majewski, who's been a pretty controversial candidate, supported by Trump, has been accused of misrepresenting his military record. So that's been a nationally watched race, too. So I think Ohio is definitely going to be a big part of the conversation about who gains control of Congress.
0: Yeah. And if Sykes wins, there will be three women of color representing the state of Ohio in Congress. Yep. So our second topic is Ohio's top chief executive. We're going to pick a governor in a couple of weeks, and our two main choices are the current Republican governor, Mike DeWine, and his Democratic challenger, former Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley. But unlike the Senate race, this one doesn't appear to be close. Polls show DeWine with double digit leads over Whaley. So what's up with that, Jesse? Yeah.
2: So I think you're really seeing the difference between these two races. Um, in the case of the Ohio Senate race, you have an open seat because the incumbent isn't running. In the case of the governor's race, you do have the incumbent running and a Republican who's been in politics for four decades with a lot of name recognition. There's hardly anyone who hasn't heard of Mike Dwine, whether that be from his years in politics or wine with Dwine during the COVID 19 <laughs> pandemic. And so um, he has the money that goes with that. And he has a ton of money. Correct. <laughs> uh, he's he's an excellent fundraiser. And so just m- most advantages are going to fall on his side in this race. On the other side, you have uh, former Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley, and she ha- won a primary over Cincinnati Mayor John Cranley, former mayor. And so that took up a little bit of the oxygen earlier this year. And then um, Mike DeWine had a four-way race um, where he did not get the majority of the vote, but got the plurality and and quite a gap before his next opponents. So that was a situation where maybe if um, kind of the Republicans who were frustrated about how Mike DeWine handled the COVID-19 pandemic or uh, other policy issues over the years had been a little more organized, they might have had a bit of a challenge to DeWine, but that didn't really come to pass. And so...
0: Yeah, the anti-DeWine people kind of split the vote.
2: They really did. So there was Renee C. This... Winchester's Joe Blystone, (laughs) who's now facing some campaign finance problems. So it was a fascinating primary. um, But the the general has been less fascinating.
0: Yeah, it seems like the Republicans have come home to support DeWine and the independents are breaking for the governor, which is interesting because Nan Whaley has really tried to make abortion an issue. Obviously, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, sent abortion rights back to the states. And the governor is very anti-abortion access. He signed the heartbeat bill that had no exemptions for rape and incest. And she's, she's tried to make inroads with moderate and independent voters, but it doesn't seem to be working.
2: Yeah, I think you can make the argument, and I have, that abortion and opposition to abortion has been Mike DeWine's most consistent policy position over his years in politics. Um, he's been very pro-children, very anti this particular be- procedure. He signed a um, In 2019, the law that was on the books for a few months after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, this six-week ban or prevents doctors from performing abortions after uh, embryonic cardiac activity is detected. And so those are all part of his record. But I think when you're looking at polls, Mike DeWine is still doing pretty well with women. He's doing okay with Democrats. There are some people who are going to vote for Tim Ryan and Mike DeWine in this November election. And so Nan Whaley is going to try to tap into that frustration, tap into that particular voter pocket that did well in other states. You look at Kansas that was able to, you know, fend off an effort to ban abortion there. So the the votes are there, but whether they're going to go for Nan Whaley is a question.
0: Yeah. And, you know, because abortion actually isn't on the ballot here like it was in Kansas over the summer. And like it will be up in Michigan where they think it actually might push the Democratic incumbent governor over the finish line. But right, voters in Ohio aren't going to vote on that till maybe 2023, maybe 2024. That's still kind of up in the air.
2: Yeah, correct. Um, in Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer has made this a key plank of her re-election bid. And there's also a, a ballot initiative, a question before voters as well. Democrats are trying to connect their candidates to a pro-abortion access vote, but it's it's less of a direct line than in some other states.
0: So our third topic is Ohio's other statewide races. There are seven of them, actually. And the first ones we're going to talk about are the Supremes. So Ohio elects its justices to the state Supreme Court. They don't get appointed for life like the big U.S. court down in D.C. And this November, three of the seven seats are up. And who wins will determine which political party has a majority on Ohio's
3: highest court. Yeah, so the Democrats haven't held the court a majority on the court since 1986, and Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor, who served in statewide office longer than any woman in Ohio history, has to step off the court due to age uh, limits in the Constitution. And running to replace her as chief is um, current Justice Sharon Kennedy, a Republican, and current Justice Jennifer Bruner, a Democrat. When one of those women move up into chief, then Governor Dewine will appoint a Republican to backfill her current seat on the on the court. So the the balance doesn't hinge on who gets to be chief. Instead, it hinges on whether or not two Republicans from Cincinnati named Pat, Pat DeWine and Pat Fisher, (laughs) if those guys can hang on to their seats, they're being challenged. Marilyn Zayas from the First District Court of Appeals is challenging DeWine. And, uh, Terry Jamison from the 10th District Court of Appeals is, uh, challenging Pat Fisher. Uh, both are women of color and have broken barriers and have had a very non-traditional path to the bench, um, versus DeWine and Fisher who are, you know, pretty, pretty more traditional path to the, to the high court. So it's really interesting.
0: And the high court will be hearing issues like whether Ohio has a constitutional right to abortion, like a state constitutional right, whether the lines that we draw for congressional districts, state house districts are legal. Like the court makes a lot of decisions about our lives and they're going to have some pretty big cases in the coming year.
3: Yeah. In addition to abortion policy and constitutional rights and other things, they, they have a tendency to weigh in on on laws that affect your, your pocketbook as well, tax policy whether or not utilities are allowed to put riders on your um, monthly utility bills, things like that. And they also are kind of the court of last resort for public records and government transparency.
0: And let's move on to the state house races. So I think most Ohioans know that we elect a governor, but did you also know that we elect a secretary of state, an auditor, a treasurer, and an attorney general? And if your first question is, what the heck do these people do? I've got you. So the attorney general is the top lawyer for Ohio, and one of the biggest differences between the incumbent. Republican Dave Yost and Democrat Jeff Crossman is actually on abortion. Yost says he would continue the, to fight the lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of the state's heartbeat bill, and Crossman would not. That's kind of your biggest difference between these two guys right now.
3: Yeah, Jeff Crossman, he's a Democrat from Parma, and he has been really hammering Dave Yost over abortion. Um, Dave Yost, uh, you know, he he is the top lawyer for the state, and he went to court to lift the stay on um, Ohio's Six week abortion ban law the day that the Dobbs decision came out. And then shortly thereafter, there was this case of a 10 year old child who was impregnated by um, her rapist and she left the state to get an abortion in Indiana shortly after Dobbs um, happened. And Davios went on Fox News and then also had an interview with me in which he cast out on the existence of that case. And that's sort of been a Uh, fire spot between the two of them um, and arguing over whether or not the 10-year-old really did have to leave the state. Um, Yost kind of um, puts forth that she could have uh, met the life of the mother exception. It's kind of vaguely worded in the the law. And then Crossman, of course, says no way, like doctors are not going to put their medical licenses on the line for that kind of thing. So anyway, it's interesting. That seems to be the, the big difference with them. So then we have the Secretary of State, and they oversee our elections. And we've got
0: a presidential election coming up in 2024. So whoever we pick will be in charge of that. So depending on what you believe about voter fraud and election integrity, who you put in that position is super important. And I would quickly mention that if you're looking for, we're going through these statewide races pretty quickly, but if you're looking for more information about them, you can find articles on any of our Gannett newspaper websites like the Dispatch, the Inquirer, or the Akron Beacon Journal. Or you can just Google things like who is running for Ohio Secretary of State. We did very friendly headlines and our articles should come up and they are like question and answer style. So you can see where the candidates stand on these issues. And look, I'm not going to tell you what to do here, but they take like five minutes to read and you can make an informed decision. So yeah, the Secretary of State race is really about who you want in charge of our elections. The state auditor is kind of like an investigative journalist for the state of Ohio. So they follow the state's money and make sure everyone is spending it wisely. And they also get a seat on Ohio's redistricting commission and And that's super important because we're still, as Jesse will tell you, still drawing those maps. And so who gets to be in charge of drawing those maps will determine how those lines look, what kind of like lawmakers we have for the next decade. And the state treasurer, last but not least, is the state's accountant and investment manager. We have $28 billion in the market and the treasurer decides where to put it. They're also responsible for maintaining our credit rating so we can get low interest loans. So you really don't want somebody screwing that up. Okay, that was whew, that was quick. <laughs> so our fourth topic is our very own state legislature. It's like a Congress, but for Ohio, we have uh, our own state Senate where 17 of the 33 seats are up this November. And we have a state house of representatives where all freaking 99 seats have elections. And these elections, I argue, are actually a lot more important to the way you live your life than Congress. They decide state taxes, public education, school vouchers, abortion laws, gun control laws, whether cities can even do their own things like ban the use of plastic bags. So, so much gets decided at the State House, and Republicans have super majorities in both chambers right now, which means they can override the governor if he vetoes a bill, and they've done that. Like, during COVID, they stripped Mike DeWine of some of his powers to create, like, stay-at-home and masking orders, and if anyone wants to make a pitch for the State House, like, by all
2: means. Yeah, I'd say the, another thing that's important about this is these we're using lines that were drawn, um, that were found unconstitutional by the Ohio Supreme oh, Court. Yeah. And so some of these races are going to look a little bit different. You might be represented by someone that you weren't represented by, by before. The numbers have changed. So these are ones you really want to check out. Another situation that happened is because these lines were approved after the filing deadline, some people just really didn't have an opportunity to know where they were going to run.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been kind of a hot mess. And uh, Jesse will be covering that for us next year when we start drawing the lines all over again. It is the song that never ends. And the one more thing before you go this week is actually two statewide voter issues, issue one and issue two. So issue one is bail reform. And Laura has been covering that. So she's going to tell you
3: all about it. Yeah. So this is a constitutional amendment that would require courts to consider the seriousness of the crime, the criminal history of the person charged and public safety, as well as the likelihood that that person is going to return to court. There There was a 4 3 decision uh, back in January from the Ohio Supreme Court that said actually money bail conditions can only be um, whether or not the person is going to return to court. That did not sit well with uh, Joe Dieters, the Hamilton County prosecutor, Dave Yost, the Ohio Attorney General, and a bunch of other Republicans. And that's why we have issue one on the ballot. Um, So it all has to do with uh, what kind of um, money bail um, can be put on people who are awaiting trial and have yet to be convicted of anything.
0: An issue too is whether people who aren't US citizens should be able to vote in local elections. Now, you if you're not a US citizen you can't vote in a state or a federal election. That's like sort of federal law. But when it comes to local elections, it turns out there's a little
1: bit more wiggle room, Haley. Yeah, so I'll try to explain this in a way that doesn't
0: bore everyone
1: with constitutional <laughs> law, but There's a thing in the Ohio Constitution called Home Rule, which basically allows local governments to govern themselves. And so Republicans argue that there is a loophole in the Constitution that allows local governments to allow non-U.S. citizens to vote in local elections. Yellow Springs, Ohio, has actually tried this before and got into a big fight with Secretary of State Frank LaRose over it. So that's why it's been relevant here. There was also discussion about this in New York, for example. So it's basically just trying to clarify what is in the Constitution. Some Democrats say this is unnecessary and some advocates think that this is just trying to stoke more anti-immigrant sentiment. But that is basically the gist.
0: I think we did a pretty good job. Thank you all so much. And if you have any more questions about your ballot, I promise you we've got you covered online. And don't forget to vote. Yeah, that too. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we've covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Minerva News Leader. That's the-review.com backslash Minerva.